It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. You know, it's often said that in life, it's not what happens to you, but it's how you react that matters. For our guest today on the Time with Fred podcast, it was all about the reaction to what happened to her in life. She has a very powerful story about how her reaction to life changed everything for her. And she is Jen Andrews. Jen, thank you for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you for having me. Before we start, just have you introduce yourself a little bit to our um, audience. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are um, before we dive into your story today. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Jen Andrews, and uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am a mom of two. Uh, I have two dogs, and I live with my husband. And uh, before my life kind of got turned upside down. Um, I had an eight year insurance background and then I kind of shifted to health and wellness, um, which is kind of ironic, uh, just that those two things were my background and then kind of where my life progressed. Um, when I was pregnant and I, they were massaging my foot, the nail tech did, and they found a pea-sized nodule. I had zero pain. You really couldn't see it unless you really pressed down hard. Um, and again, even when you press down hard, I didn't have any pain. So I had a physician look at it and he said, oh, this is nothing to worry about. Um, this is a ganglion cyst. For those of you who don't know, a ganglion cyst is just a benign cyst that can pop up on your hands and feet. It's not a big deal. It doesn't mean cancer. There's no red flags. Um, and that was it. And I kind of took that and said, okay, I'm fine. So, um, my kids are, um, 14 months apart. During the second pregnancy, it went from um, a pea-sized nodule to the size of a golf ball on my foot. Again, I didn't have any pain. Um, there was nothing, I mean, aside from, aside from the size of it and the location, and obviously it got to a point where I can only wear certain shoes, um, that became an issue. But again, I didn't have any pain and most people associate cancer with pain. Um, and so I just kind of went about my business, but then I kind of decided, okay, this thing has grown. I obviously need to have this looked at again. Um, and even though the physician who I went to initially, I really trusted, obviously I needed another opinion. <laughs> so I, um, went for another opinion. I went to, um, a doctor and he said, well, we want to send you for an MRI. And I went to go get the MRI. And as soon as I walked in, the tech from the MRI, actually, I haven't shared this a ton, but she looked at me and I was probably seven months pregnant at the time. And she said, look, I'm just a tech and I'm not supposed to tell you what to do. But if I were you, I would wait to get this test until after you're pregnant, because if they find something wrong with you, they're not going to do anything for you until after you have the baby. So why put your baby at risk? when there's not going to be a change in your action plan. Mm -hmm. And so I stood there and I kind of panicked and I thought, well, she's, she's right. So I walked out of the test. And then as soon as my, I had my son, I rescheduled the MRI and the MRI came back very unclear. And so a dermatologist ended up sending me to an orthopedic oncologist. And as soon as you hear oncologist, I mean, you know, that means cancer. And so I remember walking out of that appointment 
um, and just bawling my eyes out and calling my mom and saying, why are they sending me to an oncologist? Oncologist means cancer. This isn't cancer. Why would I be going to an oncologist? So I go to this oncologist um, who's an orthopedic oncologist. He, he focuses on, you know, weird tumors and all sorts of things because my um, scans were very unclear. And then um, they biopsied me in that first appointment and everything came back benign. But at this point, it, it was like the size of a golf ball. It was on my foot. I couldn't wear certain shoes. Again, no pain, but the location just was odd. So we decided regardless of this being benign, we needed to have this removed because of the, the size and location. So we scheduled surgery for December 3rd, 2014. Um, I remember being nervous. I remember walking into the hospital thinking, do I really need to get this done? I mean, it's not cancer. It's maybe I'll just leave it. And my husband's like, no, get it done, be done with it, move on. So I did. And then 10 days later, I got called back into his office for what I thought was just to have my incision checked and to have my stitches out. And to be honest with you, aside from wisdom teeth and two C-sections, I've never had surgery before. So I just thought that was normal protocol. So I walk into the office with my three month old and my 15 or my 17 month old. And I was blindsided to find out that even though my biopsy came back benign, every part of the tumor was benign, except for the thin layer that attached to the top of my foot, which was the bottom of the tumor. And all of that was a rare form of sarcoma. Wow. So it was a very intense moment. Um, for those of you who don't know, sarcoma is a very rare form of cancer. There's 160 different subtypes. Um, the subtype I had, they, they didn't even really pinpoint exactly what it was. So I, I more had a general diagnosis um, of a low-grade myxoid sarcoma, which is really, it's a very broad diagnosis. And if you even Google that, I mean, I think there were 44 reported cases before mine. So of course I'm sitting here, I'm going home and I'm Googling and I'm, you know, there's, there's nothing to compare to. And that's really frustrating. And for anybody who's had a cancer diagnosis, Googling is the worst thing you can do because you will read 80 million things that don't apply to you and it'll scare the, you know, bejesus out of you, but, yeah. but nothing applies. And so um, I said to him in that appointment, well, what if I don't want to have to worry about this? Because he said, you know, we, we did a surgery on you, but we didn't know we were doing a cancer surgery. So we may have gotten clean margins, but we may not have. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting another surgery. I don't want this. We'll go in, we'll clear out a, a new margin and move forward. But the problem was, was the location of my tumor. So if you think about the top of your foot and the top of your hand, like just run your fingers over the top of your hand. What is there? Not much. Right. You've got skin, you've got tendons, you've got bones. Um, it's not, there's no muscle. It's not like it's in your thigh or your calf or your arm or, you know, so there was nothing else to take. Mm -hmm. And that's what he explained to me. So I said, well, what if I don't want to have to worry about this again? And he said, if you don't want to have to worry about this again, you're going to lose your right foot. Wow. And that was a very, very intense, shocking, stop you in your tracks moment because never in a million years did I think I was going to be diagnosed with cancer, period, let alone sarcoma, which is a rare cancer, let alone a subtype of a rare cancer that was even more rare, I mean, less than 1%. And then on top of that, now I have the, um, I don't want to say option because that wasn't really, that's not really a good word, but I have the chance of becoming an amputee. 
So we decided at this point that I would just be watched because it wasn't unreasonable because like he said, we could have gotten a clean margin, but we didn't know. So I chose to be watched and being watched meant scans of my, of my foot, my leg and my lungs every three months the first year, then every six months the second year, and then every year annually. And I made it three years in remission, which was amazing. Wow. But on the third year, um, I went back for scans and we thought if my cancer was going to come back, we would be able to recognize it quick, clear out a clean margin and kind of move forward. And we thought that it would start the same way that it, I first found it, which was in a small nodule. But unfortunately for me, when it came back, it came back as the three millimeter layer over my entire right foot. So there was nothing I could have done to detect it. Again, I had no pain. Um, I didn't have any symptoms. There was nothing tied to it that should have been a red flag to me. So Jen, what, what if you hadn't gone to have a pedicure done, right? What if this nail tech hadn't seen um, this, this, this small cyst or, or whatever it was at the time? What if they hadn't seen it? What could have happened to you? I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you think like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a pedicure. I was pregnant. My feet were swollen. I wanted a foot massage. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a girly girl. I just wanted to have an hour to myself to be pampered. And literally the nail tech saved my life because she found the tumor. Um, you know, I was misdiagnosed initially, which is very common for sarcoma. Um, one thing I've learned over the years is that you have to be your best, biggest advocate. And just because a physician says, oh, this is nothing, that doesn't necessarily mean it's nothing. You need to push for more testing. You need to be, um, to be your own best cheerleader, your own best advocate, um, because nobody is going to fight for your health. Mm like you fight for your health and that is just one thing I think is so important I, I love how you shared that right but sometimes in life you've got to have to be your own cheerleader but one important piece to your life or to this whole process or journey uh Jen that I heard you speak on was that before this you're actually working in the financial services industry and the first shock to all of this was when you you lost the, the whole division right was was just let go right was this before this was that, was that part of um, the story before this process here? Yeah, so that kind of added to it. So um, my, my... Sorry my, to have to take you back, but I think it's yeah. helpful to share that. It wasn't just this particular story in isolation, right? You had already had to deal with that first setback. So this was just, this was just life happening, right? One after the other, right? Yes, um, and it's kind of funny that you bring that up because it does, it does, yes. So um, I had... I, I was working for this amazing company, um, but I outgrew my role. And so I moved to another company to move to a larger role that um, at the time was more fitting. And that company was going through a lot of growing pains and growing changes. And um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, they decided to do a restructure and I made it through that restructure. Then six months later, they did another restructure. I made it through that restructure. And then a week before my scheduled C-section, they eliminated my region with three others. Mm. So within a three-month time span, I had lost my job. I was a mom of two under two, and I was diagnosed with cancer. This is like going from zero to what, 60 in like, <laughs> in like three seconds, right? Fig figuratively, right? 
right. how, how, how does one deal with, with that shock? Because we all go through life, Jen, where things are good, right? Once upon a time, life's great. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, just have some girl time, right? Have my nails done. And then, you know, all of a sudden life, the whole world just turns up. How, how does one deal with a shock? Because I, I think it's often, it's, you know, when you hear other people share their story, you know, ah, when you go through that, right? I mean, from one to the next to the other, it becomes so surreal. How were you able to deal with those back-to-back um, adversities in life, uh, so to speak? How, how did you, how were you able to wrap your, your mind around everything that was going on? Um, it was a lot. It was overwhelming. Um, I was very career focused, but I was also this emotional new mom. And then now with cancer, um, and a rare cancer at that, um, and I was told, you know, to add to it, if my cancer were to spread, it would go to my lungs, which is a completely different ball game than having cancer in your foot. So, um, the fear of me not being there for my kids Mm -hmm. and missing out on my life kind of trumped everything else. So um, I was emotional about losing my job at first and the timing of it five days before my scheduled C-section was just, um, well, I'm over it now, but I mean, from a corporate standpoint, it probably wasn't their best choice. Um, But then from how things played out, um, it it, it, almost like it it was meant to be part of the story. Um, and I didn't feel that way at first, but it kind of made me shift. So from there, um, I started to become very into health and wellness, especially, you know, being just diagnosed with cancer. I wanted to, I I had always been, you know, exercise was always important to me, but then it became this whole new level of, okay, nutrition. And I'm following and reading about alkalinity and how that helps you as a cancer patient and how cancer can't thrive in an alkaline environment. And so that kind of took over and then I ended up creating this business out of it and became a health and wellness coach. Mm. So it was kind of this segue from, you know, insurance to health and wellness based on my cancer diagnosis and also just wanting to be healthier after having a baby. And so that that's what I focused on. And then I gave myself these benchmarks and I said, okay, well, if I can grow my business to X amount by this state, I'm going to keep going. And if I can hit this state by this state. And so I just, I'm very goal driven. Um, so for me, I just set these goals and then I move forward. And every time I, I got to that benchmark, I was hitting those goals. So there was never that point where I kind of turned around and said, well, maybe I should just go back to trying to do what I did before. But then from there, at my three-year mark, when my cancer came back, um, and obviously at this point, you know, I'm, again, still very health and wellness focused. The idea of having my foot amputated to save my life, but also losing my mobility was gut-wrenching. And so, again, exercise, running, all of that was so important to me. And in my mind, in my first meeting with him, all I could think about was losing that. How am I going to walk? How am I going to run? How am I going to be this mom who keeps up with their kids? How am I going to do all these things? How am I going to be this health and wellness coach motivating people to get out there and move because you can and run and do all these things when I can't physically do that? Yeah. Like that, everything that mattered to you was just being ripped, right? Like your, the job, the, your, 
the wellness coach, now, now your health, I mean, the, it's an important part, right, of your body, right? Every, everything that mattered to you was just being pulled apart. Uh, yeah. that, that must have been hard. Right. It was hard. It was a lot. But, you know, um, it takes a lot for me to like a doctor. And I've said this in many interviews. And I've said this to him directly. Um, my oncologist is literally probably one of the best humans you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, he's brilliant, but he also has amazing bedside manner and amazing um, communication. And so when we went into that meeting, when he knew that my cancer was back and I didn't know yet. After he told me, and he told me what my options were, which I could amputate my foot, I would get a prosthetic, I would learn to walk again, and I would be here. He kind of refocused me and he knew where my heart was. And he said, look, he was like, if you want to be here for your kids, if you want to be at high school graduation, if you want to dance at their weddings, if you want to be here for every moment, mm. you're going to do this and you're going to be here. And right then I knew that this is what I was, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I have to do. I have to be here. I mean, my kids at the time were two and three. I can't leave my two and three year old. I need to be there. I need to be the mom that I'm supposed to be. I need to be helping people. But what I didn't realize um, that in the process of my grief, all of the people who kind of were touched along the way and how that snowballed into this amazing nonprofit that currently is. So, um, you know, deciding to amputate my foot was not an easy decision. Um, it was hard and I struggled big time. Um, Thank you. And Jen's website is www.moveforjen.org. Definitely check it out and see what you can do to help be a part of this revolution that's out there changing lives. Thank you again for watching Time with Fred. Thank you again. And until next time, stay well. Thanks for watching. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to the Time with Fred podcast. And until next time, stay well. Um, one thing I've always been really open with is um, when I was diagnosed for the second time and knew I was going to lose my foot, I was literally crumbling inside um, to the point where I almost couldn't function. I mean, I was so heartbroken and so just, I can't even put into words the emotion um, because literally you're losing a part of yourself and not not from an extension, like you're physically losing a part of yourself, which unless you've gone through that, I just don't even know how to put it into words. But there would be days where I could barely get out of bed. There would be days where I would feel super motivated and I would say, I still have two feet. I'm going to go out and run. And halfway through that run, I am uncontrollably sobbing to the point that I can't breathe because I know that I'm losing this. And that was horrible. Um, but I was on a lot of medication leading up to my surgery. Um, I had to be on a lot of antidepressants, a lot of anti-anxiety um, uh, medicine. You know, for me, like I told you, I, you know, before my first foot surgery, the only surgeries I had had were two C-sections and wisdom teeth. So like having a health issue was still new to me and having a surgery like that is terrifying. It was also still new to me. So the week before my surgery, 
Um, I had been stewing on this for a couple weeks, but being a health and wellness coach, I wanted to put a message out there. Uh, and I took to blogging too. And I've shared this with a lot of people because I mentor a lot of people now who go through cancer. Yeah. And when you're going through it or somebody who's in your immediate household is going through it, everybody wants an update all the time. Yeah. And being the person to repeat that over and over yeah. and over is just so emotionally immensely draining yeah. that I like, took- like you're doing now, right? I imagine you've given this, you've had several, several podcasts, right? So every time you have to relive this, um, I'm sure bring back very painful memories, doesn't it? Um, it does, but it's not painful anymore because there's purpose behind it now. Yeah. Love it. Where before there, I didn't have the purpose yet. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it was hard. So I took to blogging because that was an easy outlet. It was cathartic for me to write. Um, I, I like to write. I, I majored in communications and journalism. So writing was, was right up my alley. And I took to that so I could let it all out one time. And then anybody who needed to know about it could read about it, whether that was someone in my immediate family, whether that was some of my good friends. And it's not that I didn't want to have those personal conversations. It's that I just emotionally and physically couldn't. It was just too much. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people who go through these um, challenges or adversities in life, they're, they're, they're not as comfortable being vulnerable, right? Letting people know, you know, what's happening, right? Especially into the deep details. But you, other than the blogging, you, you, you um, put out on Facebook, I think it was, a very, very powerful video prior to... Um, your, your surgery. Why, why, how comfortable, first of all, was it for you to go public, right, with, with what, with this major surgery that you're about to go through? Um, and what drove that for you? So the comfort level was, was very low to begin with. I mean, even me just saying I have cancer, I physically couldn't say those words. Mm -hmm. And so I almost in the beginning became this, once I had my diagnosis, this reclusive version of myself to where I couldn't talk about it. I wasn't ready. I hadn't accepted that I had cancer. I knew I had cancer, but you know, for some people who have cancer where there's pain affiliated with it, or you have these symptoms or you can feel something like, all of that I get, but for me, when my recurrence came, I couldn't feel it, I couldn't see it, I had no pain, had no issues, I was healthy, I was in great shape. So for me to accept that was very difficult. Um, but once I accepted it and kind of put it out into the world, um, I had been stewing on the idea of doing a Facebook Live the week before my surgery. And I heavily cried I would say every day from my original diagnosis until my surgery day. I mean, it was just the hardest time in my entire, it was awful. Um, the anticipation of not knowing, um, just there was so much that was just so scary about it. And the actual procedure, I mean, it's terrifying if you think about it. So the week before my surgery, I had built up enough courage to do this Facebook Live. And it re really was meant to be a message to my friends, my family, and my clients just to appreciate mobility, um, appreciate what your body can do because it could be taken away in just a yeah. moment's notice. Yeah. And just to get out and move on my surgery date, be thankful for what your body can do and yeah. just in honor of me and everybody else who wanted to be out doing something, some form of movement, um, other than what they would be doing when I knew I was going to be on an operating table and in a hospital bed. Hmm. And I think for me that meant so much because 
even from my original surgery, which was three years prior, every year on my anniversary date, no matter how I felt, no matter what I was doing, no matter what the day held, no matter if it was raining, I went outside and I went running. And it was because I could. And now this is going to be taken away from me. And I wanted other people to appreciate, wow, I have two feet. Mm-hmm. I can get out and do this. Yeah. And that message ended up going viral and um, reaching a lot of people. Um, I, I don't know the, the total count now, but I, I think it, it's just under 100,000 views. I and it's still going. I, I watched it only last week and I, okay. and I still went out and walked because I could. So it's still, it's st- it's still going. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's the one when you talk about bringing up emotion, that's the one video for me that is really difficult to watch. Um, because I can see and feel the desperation in my face and in my voice. And it brings me back to that moment of, I mean, I remember we had hired a nanny to help with the kids because I couldn't, I knew I couldn't take care of them. And, um, so she was downstairs with the kids and I was upstairs and um, I, I got enough courage to do this video. And I remember just in the room and when it was over, my heart was pounding and I could breathe and I cried it out and I walked downstairs. And then my nanny, um, who's now one of my really good friends, she uh, went home and watched the video. She didn't know I did it. And she got on Facebook and saw it and messaged me. I can't believe you did this today. I had no idea. But as emotional and hard and as tolling as that video was, I never anticipated it to reach so many people and to touch so many people. And so when I woke up from my surgery, the first thing my husband said to me was not, are you okay? Or, you know, anything like, like, how's your pain? Nothing like that. I hadn't even looked down yet. I had a blanket over my lap Mm -hmm. and um, he said, get your phone. I said, I looked at him like he was crazy. And I said, I just woke up from surgery. I haven't even looked down yet. I'm so medicated. He said, get your phone. Got my phone. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages from people all over the world. I mean, it was just so insane. People who just got out and went running that morning, whole fitness classes, holding signs with hashtag move for Jen. There were dance studios of all these little kids you know, holding signs with my name on it. There were people who personally wrote me about their struggles with mental health, saying they hadn't gotten off the couch in two years. And they watched my video and they took their dog on the walk, on a walk. And it was the best they had felt in two years. And I think all the different ways that that video touched so many people, um, that wasn't the goal, but that was such an amazing outcome that came out of yeah. such a, Ah, impromptu message. Yep. And I'd imagine, uh, Jen, that it, um, maybe 12, 15 minute, however long that video was, I'd imagine that you reached more people with that 12, 15 minute video that you, than you've reached through your, your being, being a wellness coach, right? Would that, would that be a first statement? I think so. Um, I think from there, people really started to follow my story and I think people became invested. Um, because whether they knew someone who had been through amputation, they knew someone who was fighting sarcoma, they knew somebody who just emotionally was struggling or had some other disability and all these connections kind of became made. And so, um, I ended up having this incredible support system of people that, you know, I will be honest, my support system, that is my, 
direct, like my people that are my real life people, um, they are incredible. And I know that I am so blessed and so lucky and not everybody has the relationships um, that I'm so fortunate enough to have by the quality of people that are in my life. And you know, one of the, yeah, one of the things you mentioned about support system, which underscores uh, several of my guests on this podcast who've said that, you know, when they go through their, or when they went through their own challenges, one of the things that made it easy for them was the support system that they had, whether it was a friend, parents, spouse, kids, whatever. Um, so uh, it tells me now that that support system, the people that you have around you, um, is, is, is really important. But one of the things you mentioned earlier, um, Jen, you, you talked about purpose. And it's often been said that uh, our purpose in life is usually born out of the adversity that we go through. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I'm, who would have thought that, you know, what you went through with a, with a job loss, with a, with, with a amputation, with a surgery would lead to this purpose? Or are we going to be talk about um, uh, more for Jen in a moment? But uh, how often, how, how often do we miss out you know, on our purpose in life, because we, we tend to look down upon some of the adversities in, in, in life that we go through because we, we don't want to talk about them because it's painful and, and, and rightfully so, right? We're not minimizing, you know, the, the adversities in life that we go through. But if we could only look at things from a different perspective, I bet that would our, our perspective on adversity would, would change a lot, just like it did for you, right? Leading up to Mufajan, right? Absolutely, yeah. At, at what point did it did it occur to you to kind of start this nonprofit Mufajen? Muf was it after the surgery? So yeah, it was after the surgery. Um, you know, when I got diagnosed with my sarcoma and then amputation, um, I didn't have this. I had an amazing support group of people, but I didn't have a support group of people who knew about what I was going through mm -hmm. because they had gone through it. And so I actually took to Instagram hashtags, which I know a lot of people make fun of hashtags, but there is purpose behind those hashtags. And I found some amazing people. And that's one of the reasons why I became so public with my story is because it took a lot of work to find those people. And I thought if I could put my story out there and help one person, then there's purpose in that. So that's kind of what I did. But the reason my foundation was born. Um, well, so my surgery was March of 2018 and I was fitted for a prosthetic at eight weeks post-op, which is fairly early, but I was healing well. And I remember in the initial appointments, um, I said, okay, let's talk running blades. I want to talk running blades. And they're like, whoa, whoa, we want to get you walking. Um, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. I said, okay, that's fine. I just want to understand what my options are so I can start researching because you have to learn to walk again. And in my mind, I thought they just like give you a prosthetic, you put it on and then, oh, you just go. It's not like that. You have to build up a tolerance. You have to use your body in an entirely new capacity. I went through lots of physical therapy. Um, kudos to my physical therapist. He was incredible working with me. Um, there's a lot that goes on and there's a lot of buildup. And I'm also somebody who, when I feel good, I mean, this is anybody with surgery, but you have a good day and you think, oh, I'm better. And so you go and you do all these things. And then later that night, you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done so much. And then the setbacks hit and then you're discouraged and then you start over. Yeah. And so I went through all that, but quickly in those initial meetings with the prosthetics, 
I said, I want, I want to know about running blades because I, I want to know what my options are. And they looked at me and they said, oh, okay, but running blades are extra. And I looked at, the, at them and I said, okay, well, what, is, what does extra mean? And they're like, you have to pay for that out of pocket. Insurance doesn't cover that. Now, when I was in insurance, I wasn't in medical. I was in ancillary, which is all the additional lines of coverage. But from a medical perspective, they don't cover that because they don't deem it necessary. So I remember sitting there in that appointment thinking about all of the people who aren't being active because they are in insane medical debt from having cancer. I'm thinking about all the families because for those of you who don't know, sarcoma makes up between 15 and 20% of all pediatric cancers. So how many kids out there aren't running because their parents can't afford it? And every time I say that statement, it makes my blood boil, my blood pressure rises, and it makes me angry. Running should not be extra for anybody. And from there, our foundation was born. Mm. Tell us a little about Mufajan as we kind of pivot a little bit here, because I think it's important for, for our listeners and um, viewers to, to see uh, or to know exactly what, what you're doing. And, and the website is going to be um, on the screen, but tell us a little bit about, about Mufajan, what you stand for, uh, what your needs are, and how people can help support this very important uh, movement, really, that you're embarking upon. Yeah, absolutely. So we launched our nonprofit Move for Gen in May of 2018. So it was two months after I lost my leg to sarcoma. We became a 501c3 in February. Of course, when we applied, it was like right when the government shutdown happened. <laughs> so things took a little longer, but we're, we are an, an approved 501c3. And our mission is to fund active wear prosthetics to those who lose a limb to sarcoma, cancer, or affiliated disease. So as I was explaining how running is extra, according to the insurance company, unfortunately, they don't make a prosthetic foot that does everything. So if you want to run, you need a separate prosthetic. If you want to cycle, if you're an above the knee amputee, you need a cycling knee and a special foot for, to be able to cycle. If you want to swim, you need a waterproof leg. There is something for every activity, but they don't make one that does everything. And so just to also kind of give you an idea, the life of a prosthetic is anywhere between three and five years, and then it has to be tweaked or replaced. So for somebody who's young, you're going to be going through a lot of these tools. Yep. And depending on, you know, at, from the patient side and from the patient pricing, you're looking at anywhere between five and $50,000 per wow. prosthetic, depending on if it's custom made or if it's just something that's mass produced or, or what. So it's expensive to be mm -hmm. a young active amputee. And so our foundation kind of helps bridge the gap between what the active amputee needs and what insurance doesn't cover, but should. Wow. Wow. Jen, as we kind of wrap this up, um, what inspires you now? Helping other people. Um, there's so many people out there who don't realize what their resources are. And I think one thing for me, when I started running again, it gave me back a piece of what cancer stole from me. And each time we give a grant, I'm able to restore a piece in somebody that cancer stole and I'm able to put that back. Not in the same way, not fully, not in the same capacity, but I'm able to give back in that way. And so I always say, you know, with a new foundation, you might not be able to change the world, but you can change someone's world. And each time we give a grant, we change someone's world. And that's powerful. 
And so for us, um, we are just working on raising funds. So we keep funding activewear prosthetics for different sarcoma survivors. We help everybody in the US. Our only criteria is that you have had to have lost your leg to sarcoma, cancer, or affiliated disease. And currently you have to be a resident of the United States, although I'm sure at some point that will expand. But we help all ages, all races, all genders, everything. So that's what we're working on. And our big, our big fundraiser, um, we're actually in the middle of, it's our Pajamas All Day 5K, 10K. Last year was our inaugural event, and we had over 1,000 people out. It was the most fun day. I always joke, but I'm serious. It's tied with, like, my wedding day for favorite days ever. <laughs> and, um, and this year it's virtual, so you can participate from anywhere. And um, we've had great companies jump on board from all over the country. We've had people join from all over the country and that's scheduled for November 21st. So if you have any excuse to get out and move, this should totally be it. Are you still running? Oh yeah, I ran this morning. <laughs> so, so nothing, and that's powerful, Jen, because you didn't allow what you went through to stop you. Rather folks who, again, you know, one major event, again, not downplaying, downplaying whatever that event is, but go through life and change happens or something happens and that totally stops them but you're 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 still running out there right you're still you're still out there doing doing what you love Jen what is what does life mean to you now right giving everything that happened to you within a, a relatively short amount of time has your perspective uh, on life changed at all and if so what's it oh yeah um I don't I don't sweat the small stuff I focus mm. on what matters I focus on the people that matter um, I focus on what's important to me, which is the people I love and mm. helping other people. Um, I have major purpose in my nonprofit. Um, I have major insane passion for what I do, which just goes to show that the series of events with my career landed me exactly where I should be. Mm. Uh, my husband always says, you're doing exactly what you were meant to do. And it's wow. so true. So um, I, 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 you know, it's hard. We all have trauma. We all have uh, loss. We all have grief. Not everybody loses a limb, yep. but the emotions of what you go through, yep. regardless of the trauma, all of that's the same. And that's why we're all human. We're yep. all relatable. And so I think it's just allowing yourself to go through those emotions, allowing yourself to grieve, but not to sit in that grief too long mm. and always move forward is the key. And that's where I've always just kept pushing myself. I love that. And you stole the words right off, out of uh, my mouth, Jake. So I, was, I was going to say that you know, your husband said, told you, you know, you are where, where you're supposed to be. And who would have thought that, you know, the painful experiences, right, that, that you had to go through is what has brought you here. And, and there's someone that's watching right now as we wrap it up, Jen, um, listening, watching, who may have just had to deal with a major life event. Um, may just be coming out of one or may just be walking into one. Someone rightly said that, you know, in life there, there, there are three different stages, right? You may either be in some major event or just coming out of one or just walking into one. We all fall into one of these different buckets, right? So depending on who's watching and where they are, what would you say to someone, Jen, who may be in either bucket, maybe dealing with something major or about to hear some or deal with something or just coming out of something, right? It's just, it's just cyclical, right? What would you, maybe they've lost hope and they're like, I'm done, I'm just gonna call it quits. Given what you went through and what's brought you where you are right now, Jen, what would you say to that person right now who may be listening or watching you? I think, you know, allowing yourself to grieve, 
but always pushing forward is so important. Um, I always say, put your blinders on, you know, just, just keep moving forward. Um, we all have our, our, our things. We all have our trials. We all have our tribulations. Um, and sometimes it's really, really hard to let go of what we can't control, but sometimes we have to. And sometimes letting go is the best thing you can do to push yourself forward. Wow. And in the words of um, the late Arthur Ashe, he said, um, start where you are, start with what you have and take the next step. So wherever you may be in life, start where you are, start with what you have and take the next step. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast and sharing this very, very powerful story of what happened to you, but more importantly, how you're able to impact lives right now with, with your ability to really um, change uh, your circumstances. You didn't stay there. Of course, you know, it knocked you down and it changed a lot of things for you, but you're still out there living out your purpose with, with what happened to you. So thank you again for giving off yourself, Jen, and inspiring us with your story. Thank you so much. And if you're watching or listening, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Thank you.